The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. One moment, a business is on top of its game, profitable and well-respected. In the next moment, it could be the victim of a major fraud with potentially catastrophic consequences. Financial losses, damaged reputation, diminished stakeholder value, scrutiny, even bankruptcy. These stories are all too common in today's business headlines. While some organizations recover, others don't make it. How do you minimize the risk of fraud and avoid the devastation? Welcome to Fraud Talk with host Chris Marquet. Our goal is to prevent your organization from becoming one of the statistics. Now, here is Chris Marquet. Good morning, Fraud Talkers. I am your host, Chris Marquet, on the Voice America Online Radio Network. Uh, We've got another terrific program for you today with my special guest, Scott Hilson, and he is a director of KPMG's Forensic Advisory Services Practice based out of Atlanta, Georgia. Scott's an attorney and a CFE, that is Certified Fraud Examiner, uh, who's an expert in white-collar fraud issues, uh, including investigations and anti-fraud programs. He's also a novel for fun. But before we get to Scott, and who I'll introduce in a few minutes, uh, let's not forget what our mantra is, and that is, at any time, in any organization, there's always somebody who's up to no good. And we're here to try to help uh, educate the business community about the perils and pitfalls of fraud in in today's economy. We're here to try to tamp it down, squelch it, shed some light on it, and hopefully stem the tide of fraud in today's business world. Remember, the call-in line for today's program is 866-472-5790, that is 866-472-5790, if you would like to join the discussion or have a question uh, for me or my guest, Scott, uh, later on in the program. Uh, You can find us on all the major social media, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, etc. We use the hashtag fraud talk, one word, and I can be followed at fraud talk. Uh, We are also on um, blogspot with the blog fraud talk, and you can contact me directly at chris at marquetinternational.com. That's M-A-R-Q-U-E-T, international, all one word, dot com. If you've got a question, a comment, or a suggested fraud of the week. Speaking of which, uh, today's fraud of the week comes to us from uh, Fraud Talk listener John out of Houston, Texas. And it involves a nearly $3 million embezzlement from a healthcare company, uh, which spanned a nearly uh, six-year period. Uh, So let me tell you a little bit about it. And this comes from an amalgam of media sources including the Associated Press, which uh, uh, came out with a little piece on Friday. Federal prosecutors say the former executive vice president and treasurer of a Houston-based uh, healthcare company called Patriot Managed Healthcare Systems, Inc., 
embezzled more than $2.9 million uh, and used the money for private jet travel and gambling in Las Vegas and to pay off credit card bills, just to name a few things. Prosecutors announced um, Thursday, this this past week, that 41-year-old Joseph S. Antonucci, A-N-T-O-N-U-C-C-I, of Houston pleaded guilty to the charges that include 15 counts of wire fraud. So according to the prosecutors, uh, dating back as far as January 2007 and continuing through September of 2012, Antonucci embezzled from the company's bank accounts, uh, essentially, according to the authorities, that he authorized transfers and withdrawals from the accounts uh, to his own accounts or otherwise converting them to himself. So he created false financial documents that concealed these actions, and some of the money was also used to pay, um, make payments on a, a home that he purchased. Uh, Antonucci executed the scheme by creating false documents, as I mentioned. The original indictment alleges that those documents misrepresented key accounting figures for the company and overstated the company's net worth while concealing Antonucci's embezzlement. He used the phony financial figures to request additional capital infusions from the investment fund that owned Patriot. Antonucci was originally indicted back in January 2014, and his sentencing is scheduled now for January 29th of next year. He faces up to 20 years in prison on each count of wire fraud, which unfortunately we know he won't get that. If I if I were a betting man, he's probably looking at 48 months plus uh, restitution plus uh, three years of probation or something like that. In any event, this is interesting. Uh, you know, a couple of interesting things. One, uh, this fellow was young. He started his thefts when he was what, just uh, in his early 30s. Uh, so that's a little early for some of these guys uh, and gals. In this case, it's a guy, which is also unusual. Uh, most of these embezzlers are women. Uh, and uh, But it's not so unusual because he stole quite a bit of money uh, from the company. He was executive vice president and treasurer. Essentially, uh, I'm guessing he, he had uh, uh, all aspects of the financial um, uh, duties at the company and therefore was able to conceal these uh, these thefts over the, you know, uh, again, nearly six-year period. Uh, my other guess would be that this thing probably uh, went even longer. They start, you know, January 20, 2007, probably because of statute of limitations that the feds uh, uh, had to abide by. Uh, but if I had to guess again, this fellow probably was stealing for a longer period of time going back to, uh, and if I were the forensic accountant, right, right, Scott, I would be looking at the day this guy started working. <laughs> um, so, uh, so that's uh, the other thing here. Interesting is that it involved a financial statement fraud, essentially to puff up the company, get the, the financial backers to pump, infuse more capital because, you know, uh, an alleged cash flow issue here. And uh, therefore he was able to then uh, con- continue to conceal the, embezzlement and um, enrich himself. So uh, welcome, Scott. What do you think about that? Well, uh, thanks, Chris. And uh, let me just say, I I really appreciate being on your show. Um, 
The, uh, the, the Antonucci case uh, uh, really emphasizes a lot of things that, that we'll probably talk about in terms of patterns and profiles of, of fraudster, but I think your sense uh, is right. I would make sure to look at all of this, uh, this individual's transactions, but you look at the pressures uh, that he might have been under, uh, you look at the position that he was in, a trusted position, um, and the length of, of time, and all of those are very endemic to a lot of the uh, the frauds that I've seen and investigated. Yeah, no, I agree. And uh, uh, unfortunately, you know, I mean, you and I live in this world uh, where we see the this kind of uh, corruption going on on a regular basis, and it's kind of shocking, frankly, uh, you know, just how much of this is this is occurring around us. Uh, and really, every organization is is uh, is at risk, and, and you know, nobody's immune to it. No industry is immune to it. Um, but let me. I want to talk. Uh, I want to tell our readers. I'm mean, sorry, readers. Our readers and our listeners about uh, your background, Scott. It's very impressive. Uh, let me read a little bit about uh, about you. Uh, you're a director in the Atlanta office of KPMG's uh, forensic practice, and you've got over 20 years of investigative and legal experience. Uh, you're a lawyer by training, and you also have an MBA, both of which you obtained from Georgia State uh, University in 1993. And your undergraduate degree uh, you received in 1989 in, uh, from the University of Florida, which is a BA in criminology and law, uh, obviously setting yourself up well for your, uh, for your future career. Uh, Scott um, focuses on assisting his clients with internal and governmental investigations, anti-bribery and corruption, regulatory compliance, and e-discovery. He is the president of the Georgia chapter of the ACFE, that is the Association of Certified Fraud Examiners, and he is on the ACFE's National Advisory Council, where he's a member and a former chair of the Forensic Accounting Advisory Board at uh, Georgia Southern University. He is the founder of the Securities and Corporate Litigation Subsection of the Atlanta Bar Association and has been chosen repeatedly by the Law and Politics, by Law and Politics uh, publication as a Georgia super lawyer. So so um, the other thing here, which is great about Scott, is for fun, I imagine, and we'll get into this, Scott is the author of two novels, one called Fraudulent Intentions, which I believe came out in 2012, and the second one called Cloud of Lies uh, came out in 2014, both available on Amazon and at your own website, scotthilson.net. That's C-O-T-T-H-I-L-S-E-N.net. Uh, is that right, Scott? Tell us, uh, I assume these... Um, based on the descriptions, and I and I have in my hot little hands here, your second book, Cloud of Lies. Thank you for sending that to me. Uh, uh, that they're based uh, partly on what you've seen in the in the real world. Yeah, and um, uh, th- thanks for that promo, Chris. I appreciate it. Um, in-, in my background, it makes me exhausted to hear about uh, all-, all of the things that I've I've done. Um, but and that's uh, yeah, not it. A, I've got yeah. more to say. <laughs> well, the, the books the books were really, as you said, kind of what I do for fun, and they were passion. Uh, a number of years ago, I looked around on the bookstores of um, uh, on the shelves of bookstores when we all used to go to bookstores, and I really looked for some nonfiction suspense or some fiction suspense book about fraud investigation because I was fascinated by it. There's just fantastic stories, um, amazing people that under, uncover this, these frauds, and they really are modern-day mysteries. 
So um, looking around, I really didn't find anything. There's a lot of, you know, the nonfiction, the true stories about the Enrons and the world comes, but I, I didn't find a fictional character. And so that's what really sparked me uh, to write my first one. And Fraudulent Intentions is, uh, is based upon a real case I had with uh, all the names changed and, and, and things changed around enough. But um, I looked back and I saw, wow, this was a really fantastic um, case. It was interesting. There was, there was fraud. There was um, organized crime. It dealt with the Internet and, and payment processors. And so it was really, really interesting. Um, so I turned that into a, in, into a novel. Uh, and I just found myself um, enjoying so much the, the writing, um, waking up in the mornings. I, I have three kids who at that time I, I used to do it between depositions and diapers, I used to say, but uh, just, just a, real, a real passion. And then that kind of led into the second book as well. Wow. Well, it's, uh, it's, it's terrific and, uh, and fun and good for you. It's, uh, it's nice to have that kind of an outlet and turn it into something creative and fun and, and based on real life. But, and I'll just, just Scott has also, just for our listeners, he, you have written extensively about various you know, white-collar fraud aspects as well as given all kinds of, um, uh, of presentations and, and public speaking on various topics. And just to name a few here, uh, one, you know, recently, Recently, uh, you came out with an article entitled uh, Global Profiles of the Fraudster. Uh, you've also written, in, in, you know, here, just, here's just a few titles, Anti-Bribery and Corruption of Enforcement and Compliance, To Catch a Thief, the, the Psychology of Fraud, another one, Forensic Investigations, Background and Best Practices, another one, Red Flags of Fraud, yet another, The Anatomy of a Bribe. Internal controls can thwart fraud and preventing corporate fraud, the perception of detection, uh, and finally, investigations in a digital world. And this is just a few of the many uh, titles of articles and presentations that, that Scott has given. Uh, Scott, and, that, and that's, that's terrific. You, you, all of these things also run quite a gamut in the fraud world from the FCPA issues, that is the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, to, you know, embezzlement, to financial statement fraud, to prevention, to the psychology. This is this all to me fascinates me, and uh, and I, 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 I I'm looking forward to hearing more about each of these topics. Um, but before we we break here, uh, tell us. I mean, how did you f- first get into the business of fraud investigations? Sure, you know, sure. Was there an early case that you got in in your legal career? How did the, how did you get hooked in? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a that that's a great question. Uh, and let me let me first just mention that the global profiles of fraudster was uh, was was a um, global KPMG initiative. Um, not not just me. I, I I love the fact you you gave me credit for, it, but it really is a KPMG wide effort of our three thousand uh, forensic professionals. Um, but to but but to answer your question, so I, you know I jokingly refer to myself as a recovering lawyer, and in in some respects, I've always kind of been in the business of fraud when I was litigating for about. 20 20 years, a lot of the cases, whether they were business to business or securities or insider trading, all dealt with some kind of fraud. But uh, about 15 years ago, um, I did my first true independent investigation where I was acting on behalf of a board of directors and not re- representing or, or, or prosecuting an individual. And what I found is um, my job was just to find the truth and was to unravel the fraud in, in any way I could. Uh, I did not have an adversary. There was no opposing attorney. 
no judge or, or, or jury, and I found that was, that was um, a great freedom from any kind of bias. Um, so it allowed me just to forget about the regular pressures that, that lawyers have to represent clients and just go right for the truth. And, uh, and, and so that's really the, the, the turning point in my career and why I started to get into, uh, into this. And then became a, a certified fraud examiner and worked with a great, great bunch of people at the Georgia chapter down in Atlanta. Terrific. Well, let's take a break right now. We're going to come back in a couple minutes, and we're going to continue our discussion uh, today with Scott Hilson. Thank you. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. Our highly competitive business world is fraught with risks and challenges. Critical business decisions must be made on a daily basis with precision when significant capital is at risk. When your organization is faced with a decision point involving opportunity and risk, consult with Marquet International, global experts in due diligence, investigations, and litigation support. Marquet International professionals assist organizations with vetting key individuals and businesses, as well as conducting sensitive employee or executive misconduct investigations. Our experts work with corporate counsel to develop facts and intelligence related to parties and circumstances in litigation, including conducting interviews, deep background investigations, and asset recovery inquiries. We are recognized in the area of fraud investigations, response and business controls consulting. When circumstances require sensitive and professional fact-finding, turn to Marquet International, world leaders in investigations and risk mitigation. Visit MarquetInternational.com or call 617-733-3304. Workplaces are only as strong as their teams. Teams are only as strong as their individual members. Are you seeking a better way to take your business to a higher level? We're here to help. Listen for Leading with Social-Emotional Intelligence, Building Trust Through Intentionality and Vulnerability with host Glenn Harris. Together, we'll explore the five key behaviors of a cohesive team and other concepts designed to keep your team working smarter. Tune in every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are tuned in to Fraud Talk with Chris Marquet. If you have a question or comment about the show, please send an email to Chris at marquetinternational.com. That's C-H-R-I-S at M-A-R-Q-U-E-T international.com. Now, back to Fraud Talk. And welcome back, Fraud Talkers. The telephone number today, 866-472-5790. If you'd like to join our discussion today with uh, my special guest, Scott Hilson. Scott is uh, a director in KPMG's uh, Forensic Advisory Services practice based in Atlanta, Georgia. Scott is also an attorney by training and a certified fraud examiner. He's also got his MBA. It's uh, quite impressive. And he is an expert in white-collar fraud investigations in anti-fraud fraud programs and for 
for fun, just for the heck of it. Scott is also a novelist and has written two novels so far, and I'm sure there'll be more to come. Welcome back, Scott. Thank you, Chris. So we've been chatting just a bit about how you fell into the uh, the business of uh, fraud investigations, and uh, you described how about 15 years ago or so you you got involved in a case that uh, really, uh, on behalf of a board of directors, uh, an internal investigation that just you know what happened, get into it, uh, find out what happened, uh, solve the solve the case, which you did, which uh, which sort of kicked off your whole interest and sort of changed the trajectory of your of your career. Yes. Well, let's. Uh, and that career has been uh, has been uh, now uh, littered with all kinds of interesting cases, uh, and has caused you to become an expert in kind of a wide variety of white collar fraud issues. Uh, one one issue that uh, for me is is very interesting is the uh, um, is, is is bribery and uh, corruption uh, involving overseas and international um, business enterprises and and this gets into the whole area of the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act uh, and helping protect organizations from being victims or victimized uh, by the act um, and my my understanding and you can correct me if I'm wrong is that probably in the last whatever five seven ten years the prosecutions under the FCPA in the United States have dramatically increased and uh, and companies are becoming increasingly uh, subject to sanctions under under the statute uh, as well as um, other statutes uh, related to to international fraud. It's not just U.S. corporations. It's it's foreign companies. Obviously, uh, when you think of uh, when you think of the the German company. Uh, so tell let's let's talk about the FCPA. And, and uh, you know, I'm I'm sure you've got a case or two that you can describe. Sure, sure. So. Um, quickly for your listeners, the FCPA um, uh, uh, makes it illegal uh, for United States companies uh, as well as individuals uh, who work for the United States to uh, bribe or make corrupt payments to government officials, uh, foreign government officials. This, this does not cover U.S. domestic bribery and corruption, which uh, is covered by a lot of different statutes. Um, but as you said, Chris, the, the enforcement of this act has, uh, has increased significantly over the past 10 years, and it's really made a trend worldwide. Um, um, almost all of uh, the developed countries have some form of bribery and corruption statutes. The, uh, the OECD is a global organization that has an anti-corruption convention, and so what you see is um, the, the efforts to, to prohibit and stem bribery and corruption uh, is, is really worldwide. Now, I can tell you that um, a lot of the countries don't enforce their statutes like the United States does. But bribery and corruption is just a type of fraud. It's a, it's a type of misappropriation. Uh, before a government official can be bribed, um, monies need to be misappropriated by the company, and, and uh, many times without the company's knowledge. So a lot of the same um, uh, investigation techniques come into play. A lot of the same risks come into play. Um, and the way to prevent bribery and corruption also very similar to other areas of fraud risk management. But it, but it, it really is an area that is, is growing. It's, it's not going away. And the government most recently has been focusing on 
uh, a company's third parties. Those are the agents and the representatives and the brokers and the attorneys and lawyers that represent the company overseas on behalf of uh, the company before government officials and, and other customers. So the tentacles of the enforcement of the FCPA are really expanding. So when we talk about that, and and you're right, uh, I mean, like the the UK's anti-bribery laws and the uh, the EU uh, com- countries also uh, um, setting their own laws, the, uh, which are fairly stringent. But the prosecutions in, in the United States are the ones that are really really taken off. But uh, you're talking about third party like TPAs and other agents of the company. So for example, uh, at least in my experience, you have you know companies that's expanding in let's say. A developing nation in the Africa, and they use they engage outside uh, consultants or what have you to help them position themselves in that country. Uh, to me, that's an automatic uh, um, warning <laughs> to right. be careful. You know who it is you're dealing with and and what you're doing in that particular country. No, right. right. And, and, there, and there, this is a kind of risk-based response, so there are different levels of concern depending upon which countries you might be in. Um, and uh, probably don't need to remind your audience, but what we call a, a bribe in the United States is what many other countries call a, a regular business payment. So in some sense, um, it, it, is a, it is a cultural standard that you're up against. Uh, and then um, different kinds of third parties uh, it can expose a company to different kinds of risks, certainly the ones you mentioned. Are, are most risky. And we've seen in recent cases um, travel agents and freight forwarders and custom uh, logistics uh, uh, representatives are, are more risky, and they tend to try to get business or facilitate a business by making what oftentimes is a very small payment um, that would not register on, uh, on, on most financial statements, but nevertheless, there's no quantitative materiality with a bribe, uh, and, any, and any amount can constitute a bribe under the, under the FCPA. So it, it really is difficult for global companies to understand all of the risks and put in the proper policies and procedures and controls to mitigate those risks. So, so right. So, two part uh, question here. So, one, uh, I want to, I want to ask you about, you know, how does a company, you know, what what kinds of measures should a company be putting in place that will help prevent this thing from happening? Knowing, of course, that you can never prevent anything because when you're dealing with people, people act and people do, and sometimes people act and people do things that uh, aren't in the organization's uh, best interest, but their own best interest. Um, and, um, well, wh- why don't we start with that? Yeah, so, um, it, you know, just, just in general, I think the main elements of an anti-bribery and corruption program start with oversight, having the right individuals and process owners um, responsible for the program. But then policies, procedures, and controls. Again, this is risk-based, so every company is not going to have the same risks or the same policies. Um, training and communication is very important. Uh, for a, a company, uh, and it's very difficult for a global company to conduct the training or set the right culture and tone from the United States. Uh, we really have seen leading practices are having the business owners around the world be responsible for this kind of uh, anti-bribery and corruption program, uh, really because they, they are the owners, but also they're the people that, um, that are running the local business. Um, there are lots of new tools out there and technologies. We do a fair amount of any bribery and corruption data analytics. 
analytics, uh, which can sift through very large data sets to try to find uh, where the risks are or outliers or trends or patterns. Um, and in terms of third parties, uh, the, the really key is uh, not dissimilar to the financial industry. You got to know your third party or know your customer, and that entails doing a fair amount of due diligence on that on that third party, um, and not only in, in financial due di- diligence but integrity due diligence. Um, is there is that third party on sanction lists and blacklists, and what is the adverse media? Uh, and we've got a tool called Asterisk that can help companies do that. But and and then the last thing that I want to mention what and where I think a lot of companies get uh, in trouble is they don't monitor the program. A, a, a program with all the elements I've described and all the tools is only as good as its application. Uh, and one of the things the government has said before is um, uh, they are not going to be too responsive to a paper program, one that looks good in paper and policies but not in, in action. So monitoring the program, the program ought to change as the business grows and, and develops and goes into different con- uh, countries. So it's a really, it's a living breathing type of program so we have you know conduct your due diligence make sure you know who it is you're doing business with uh and that's i I do a lot of this work on the ground in in uh, developing nations uh where you or even developed countries where you really need to know who it is that in detail that you're doing business with um, from a reputational standpoint but also when you put your program in place you know you need to have like continue the 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 uh, the the education has got to be continuous it can't be you just do it once and it's on the shelf. The program you know, has got to be monitored. Uh, you've, you, you know, as the company grows, as you said, you know, you, you start uh, entering new markets. You've got to, uh, you've got to pay attention to those new markets and the people that you you bring into those places. Yeah, that's right. And um, and what we've seen by looking at the enforcement trends is uh, the SEC and the DOJ, the two uh, agencies that that uh, enforce the FCPA have been signaling to the market through cases like the Morgan Stanley and the Ralph Lauren case that if a company has a well-designed program, if that program is uh, applied in good faith, um, and if yep. it works, then um, even if you have that rogue employee who goes off and engages in a bribery scheme, the company itself uh, will be insulated in, in a sense because it has done the right thing. And the government, I think, is focusing on, on that and letting the companies know that there is a light at the end of the tunnel and there is a return on investment for a well-designed and effective compliance program. Well, that's good news. So we're going to take another break right here and we'll be back in two minutes. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Our highly competitive business world is fraught with risks and challenges. Critical business decisions must be made on a daily basis with precision when significant capital is at risk. When your organization is faced with a decision point involving opportunity and risk, consult with Marquet International, global experts in due diligence, investigations, and litigation support. 
Marquet International Professionals assist organizations with vetting key individuals and businesses, as well as conducting sensitive employee or executive misconduct investigations. Our experts work with corporate counsel to develop facts and intelligence related to parties and circumstances in litigation, including conducting interviews, deep background investigations, and asset recovery inquiries. We are recognized in the area of fraud investigations, response and business controls consulting. When circumstances require sensitive and professional fact-finding, turn to Marquet International, world leaders in investigations and risk mitigation. Visit MarquetInternational.com or call 617-733-3304. Does your business, like many, face obstacles to becoming successful? Would you love to have an open forum of entrepreneurial ideas and best practices brought to you each week? Tune in for the second stage with hosts Brendan Anderson and Jeffrey Cadlick. We'll spotlight entrepreneurs and growing companies that are creating a vibrant economic base, as well as addressing some of the obstacles that could be standing in the way of your success. Listen Mondays at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. You are tuned in to Fraud Talk with Chris Marquet. If you have a question or comment about the show, please send an email to Chris at marquetinternational.com. That's C-H-R-I-S at M-A-R-Q-U-E-T international.com. Now, back to Fraud Talk. Welcome back, Fraud Talkers. We are speaking today with uh, my special guest, Scott Hilson. He is a lawyer by training, and the uh, he is in the Georgia, uh, the Atlanta, Georgia office of KPMG with their forensic uh, advisory group. And uh, we've been talking about the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act and and uh, what companies ought to be doing to protect themselves. Um, I'd like to shift a little bit, uh, Scott, if I may, um, and talk about uh, another area you've done a lot of work in, and that is in the in the financial statement fraud arena. Uh, well, we call it various things, uh, but also um, I understand you worked on a case recently uh, that you might describe that uh, that also can highlight some of the you know the motivating factors behind these these fraudsters. Why don't you tell us about that? Sure, sure, and. Um and this is a case I've seen that has a lot of similarities to, uh, to other matters. Um, uh, it was an investigation of a large publicly traded company. Uh, the scheme was earnings management, where the chief accounting officer uh, kept unnecessary uh, reserves and accruals on the books. And then when times got tough and the company needed income, uh, he brought or instructed that uh, those reserves be brought back into income, um, ensuring that the company met analyst expectations. The, the similarity is that I've seen, and, and that, that setup is not, is, is not unique, but um, the, the, the fraud was, was very complex, and it was a lot of small numbers that added up to a big fraud, which is what I see a lot. Um, I've not, it's not as often as you see the, the multi-million dollar fraud. It's more often that you see lots of little frauds or, or acts that add up. So that was one thing that, um, uh, that I noted that I, that I try to um, uh, convey when I give lectures is don't always look for the big one because it's, it's the little ones that, that add up because that's where the opportunities are. Uh, another similarity is there were red flags all over the place. This, this individual, by email, instructed others around the country to to take certain actions and make certain journal entries. Um, and 
when we interviewed those other individuals, we asked, you know, why, why were you doing this? And the, the response always was, well, the chief accounting officer knows all of, he, he sees all the financial statements. He knows what's happening with the company. We deferred to him. Um, and that was very endemic in the, the WorldCom case where there were red flags all over and sometimes um, people assumed somebody else knew it or they didn't raise their hand. I was just uh, following orders. <laughs> yeah, I was following orders, and I did. And I just knew my little piece, and I assumed that the big piece was legitimate. But it's those kinds of things. The ACFE continually puts out um, statistics over the past twenty years or so um, that show that the the leading uh, uh, thing that detects fraud is by a tip, and that tip could be anonymous, and uh, it's usually in employees. But tips are the the most frequent way frauds are discovered, and th- and in this case, there was not a tip. Um, and then the, the last thing, or, or two last things I want to mention is, one, this was not on the financial statements. All of these improper entries were in supporting schedules and spreadsheets that the external auditors never saw. And per- perhaps the, the, the most uh, interesting observation is this fraud was not conducted as a direct, in order to directly um, uh, gain financial benefit. The, this person's salary was not affected, the bonus or the stock options. But when we got to the bottom of it, the, the real impetus behind it was this person wanted to become a chief financial officer of a public company. Recall that he was one step under the chief accounting officer. And so that prestige, that expectation, um, that perhaps peer pressure is, is what drove him more than a financial uh, motivation, which I think a lot of people assume all fraud is greed and financial. But it's very similar, I think, to the Antonucci case you, you described before. So this this fellow or gal, um, uh, his impetus was really, you know, he's the number two finance finance guy in this publicly traded company, uh, and he's going to tweak the numbers internally to make sure that whatever the company met their expectations that they they told investors. Uh, how did the whole thing come about? I mean, how was it discovered? Well, the, the interesting thing, and again, not getting too much into, in, into the facts, but uh, a side issue was, was first uncovered. Uh, a subpoena was served by the Department of Justice, and in response to that subpoena, uh, we did a, a large email review, including the email review of those in the C-suite. And uh, we found an email that was indicative of an earnings management scheme, one little email um, that was probably seven, eight years before the, uh, the matters we were initially investigating. And that blew open uh, this this long multi-year um, uh, earnings management scheme. So it, so, it was so it was in so in this particular case, the you know it was almost by accident that we found out we we that that you uh, you found out about this problem. It, it yeah. was it was it was by accident, and and uh, the funny that you me- should mention that accident is also one of the top two or three leading. Uh, ways that frauds are discovered. This one was purely by accident. We tripped over a lone email out there that that really opened up a much much broader scheme. Yeah, I mean, I read about it all the time, and in some of the cases that I that I talk about, it's uh, you know the, uh, the the accounting person, the bookkeeper stepped you know went on vacation, or a case, one case uh, recently uh, was uh, involved a woman. There was a blizzard. You know, the own business owner uh, said, "Well, I can get in. I'm not far from the office," uh, but the accounting the bookkeeper couldn't. She goes in. And, and finds a letter from the IRS saying we're about to shut down your business. <laughs> so by accident, the whole thing unravels right there. 
Right, and we, we, we see that a lot, particularly with smaller companies, to, to your point, Chris, is um, if there's not a good segregation of duties, then uh, the person who is manipulating the, the financials can't go on vacation because then someone else will pick up that particular task or that assignment and, and realize there's something there. So we see that a lot of times in smaller companies. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, let's talk about, um, maybe you can describe for us a, um, a recent uh, uh, employee theft situation uh, that you might have been involved in. Sure. We, um, and again, the, the names will be changed to protect the... the of course, the of course. <laughs> um, but we, we've, we've had in, in a, a recent investigation where an employee was receiving um, vendor invoices uh, on behalf of the company, and there was not a segregation of, of, of proper duties, and so that employee also was was writing checks. and And what he did was, when he got a vendor invoice in, he uh, recreated that invoice on a template that's available, you know, on, on on the net, and increased the amount of the invoice. And then when the checks were written. Um, he had written one check to the to the vendor and got that properly signed uh, and properly authorized by someone else. And then there was a second check that was written uh, to uh, a fake vendor, which was set up under under you know his name and an address somewhere else. So it's an example of um, understanding how the transactions and monies flow, looking at each step and saying, is there an, a gap here or is there a weakness or is, is someone doing two? two uh, 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 responsibilities or two assignments that uh, creates a weakness. So how, what, per, what percentage would you say that he was skimming on those invoices? What, it was probably you know, did he, was he adding 10%, 5, 10, 15, 20? It, it what, was per, around, what was he adding around, to those? Yeah, it was around 10 to 20%. It was not large dollars, but um, to your point. But that's still, store, I mean, can you imagine a business, you know, 20% of its vendor costs being increased just yeah, like that. Is, I mean, right. that's got to take a... This happened over a long period of time. And, um, and like a lot of these, what happens is someone who has not gone out to plan a fraud but has an opportunity, and, and opportunity is a, a key aspect of a fraud risk management uh, compliance program, but saw the opportunity, did it one time, realized that no one else would, have, would, would catch them. There were no controls in place. And once that happened, it became, it became something that this person dove into over the course of about four or five years whenever he needed some more money. And what, was to- similar- what was his total take? Yeah, and, and, and you, know, you mentioned the Antonucci case. This gentleman had a gambling problem. Uh, we see a lot of that kind of pressure. In the case I just told you about, there were lots of credit card um, purchases and, and advances in casinos. Yeah, we talk about you talk about pressure, and the, and, and you, you we think about the the fraud triangle, the so called fraud triangle, which was a theory before uh, some years ago, which essentially you've got uh, you've got um, uh, the opportunity, you've got on one point, you've got pressure on a second point, and you've got rationalization. Uh, as the third point. So in this case, you know, pressure might be, well, maybe it's a gambling problem. Maybe he's got some financial issues and he, he, you know, he, he, he has the opportunity because this guy has all aspects of controls over the financials and he rationalizes saying, Hey, well, I'm going to pay it back. Uh, but, (laughs) but things morph over time. Yeah, that, that's right. And, and of those three, Agatha Christie's got a great quote and she says, very few of us are what we seem. Um, 
Um, in fraud investigation, I think those three points, the pressure, the rationalization, and the opportunity are, are, are all important. I always focus on opportunity because pressure and rationalization sometimes are invisible. You can't see perhaps what's happening at someone's home or in sure. their personal financial statements. Um, and that's why when, when we talk about um, preventing fraud and misconduct, um, opportunity is kind of where you, you focus on, make sure the controls are there. Uh, and I always reverse something I learned in law school, and we always know that someone is innocent until proven guilty. But when you do these fraud investigations, it's quite the opposite. I, I assume people are guilty until I can prove them innocent. Right. So, yeah, when we talk about prevention and um, uh, for those kinds of cases, uh, you know, one of the key things is uh, is segregation of duties. We, you guys talk about it all the time. Uh, I mean, that, that is that is absolutely critical. Yeah, that's right. I mean, for for opportunities, what I'd like to, or or um, uh, to to prevent the opportunity, I like to think about a term called perception of detection. And I didn't mm. invent that term, and it's 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 been out there. But it, with these kinds of individuals who who commit kind of white collar fraud, or, uh, the key thing is not to be detected. Unlike other kinds of crimes, where they know they're going to be detected and hope they get away. So when I think about the perception of a detection, I think of four things quickly. The, the the culture and the environment, make sure that people understand that it's not going to be tolerated. The controls, uh, both internal controls, um, soft controls, hard controls, but I think the controls have to be visible to people. I think people need to know that, that you're watching it in, 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 in a way that is a professional way, but they have to know that there's controls. Um, the other C is communication and training to employees. And then finally, C is collaboration. What I see a lot of times on collaboration is there are red flags in different areas of a company, whether it's IT or HR or sales or finance or compliance. And unless all of those departments are talking to each other, a lot of times those red flags go missed. So collaboration, I think, is a, is a critical aspect of a fraud risk prevention program. We're going to have to take a break, and I want to come back to this issue. This is a critical, critically important one, and I and I really like uh, like the term perception of of detection. Uh, we'll be back in two minutes. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Our highly competitive business world is fraught with risks and challenges. Critical business decisions must be made on a daily basis with precision when significant capital is at risk. When your organization is faced with a decision point involving opportunity and risk, consult with Marquet International, global experts in due diligence, investigations, and litigation support. Marquet International professionals assist organizations with vetting key individuals and businesses, as well as conducting sensitive employee or executive misconduct investigations. Our experts work with corporate counsel to develop facts and intelligence related to parties and circumstances in litigation, including conducting interviews, deep background investigations, and asset recovery inquiries. We are recognized in the area of fraud investigations, response and business controls consulting. When circumstances require sensitive and professional fact-finding, turn to Marquet International, world leaders in investigations and risk mitigation. Visit MarquetInternational.com or call 617-733-3304. Do you want to know what's really going on these days? 
Well, Capital Thinking takes you inside the worlds of policy, politics, law, and business. What happens in Washington, on Wall Street, and in our nation's legal system impacts your business every day. We're taking you on a behind-the-scenes tour of all of it. Each week, we bring you unfiltered conversation with a variety of influential policymakers, lawyers, and business leaders. I'm Kevin O'Neill, and I'm your host as Capital Thinking tours the halls of power. Join me for Capital Thinking on the Voice America Business Network each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to Fraud Talk with Chris Marquet. If you have a question or comment about the show, please send an email to Chris at com. That's C-H-R-I-S at M-A-R-Q-U-E-T international.com. Now, back to Fraud Talk. Welcome back, Fraud Talkers. Our guest today is Scott Hilson, and we've been talking about various aspects of white-collar fraud, and most recently, uh, we were talking, Scott was describing uh, his four tenets of the perception of detection of fraud. Scott, let's go back over those, because I think it's absolutely critical and important, uh, and I, I, I like the way you've, you've organized it. Sure thing. Um, so the, the four C's are culture, controls, communication, and collaboration. So when I think of when I think of culture, we always hear tone at the top, and it's an important concept. It perhaps has been overused a little bit, but I like to also uh, emphasize tone in the middle because when I see frauds occurring, it it is really middle management. I think that sets the the proper tone and 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 sets the environment and um, the the attitude that. Uh, there will be no tolerance for misconduct. In, in just quickly, in, in one of the frauds we found, uh, we asked the person why he did it, and it turns out that he saw one of his, or he was at a dinner with one of his superiors, who put a personal dinner on a business card. And that's a simple act, but what this individual saw is it's okay in some situations to, to um, in, in essence, you know, charge the company for personal experience uh, uh, dinners. That was a cultural thing, and it changed that person's mindset. So culture mm. is, is, is very important. It's not, it's not to be underemphasized. So setting the culture from the top. Yeah, from the top, but emphasizing it from the middle. Right. Um, the second C is, is controls, in, internal controls. Um, Yogi Berra uh, had a great, great line. Uh, for those who don't remember, he was a New York Yankees catcher, but also kind of philosopher. And his line was, you can observe a lot just by watching. And, <laughs> right. And, and, and it, really, it really hits it. If, if you're keeping your eyes on the controls and on people, um, you can observe a lot about that. So when I say controls, I, I, I have hard controls and soft controls, where the hard controls are things like accounts don't reconcile unless someone approves. But the soft controls are when a CEO or CFO has to sign his or her name on a SOX certification. Um, but the controls are really important. And, and having those controls perceived by employees so they know they're out there. Um, the third C is communication. 
and that communication is from a company to its employees and to its third parties. Um, not only not only uh, communications to remind them of the importance and to emphasize the culture, but to conduct training, real in-person training, particularly with what we've been talking about in, in anti-bribery and corruption. What is it? What are the red flags? How can you spot it? You know, how can you report? But that's really that's really important. Um, and then the last C is is collaboration. Uh, and as I mentioned before, we see lots of issues fall through the cla- cracks because what is what may start out of it as an HR issue maybe quickly becomes something of a fraud issue or an IT issue. Mo- most of the frauds we see are conducted by computers or on computers, and so there's always an IT factor in it. So having the organization and the leaders in those different departments meet and talk about what they're saying uh, is, I think, is an important aspect of a total fraud risk management program. Mm, no, this is uh, that's terrific. I, uh, I think I think it's a great uh, summation of uh, of how uh, how an organization should be thinking about uh, fraud prevention in general. Um, yeah, you know, setting the tone at the top, having the controls in place, but the controls in place are only as good as is the you know making sure they're communicated, trained, uh, and uh, and followed by going you know again top down and people working and talking to each other, not afraid to uh, to re. Report things that they see. I think you mentioned before, um, according to the ACFE, that the number one way that the uh, a lot of frauds are discovered is simply through through uh, through tips, anonymous tips, and 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 hotlines and that sort of thing. Uh, so uh, when you have a whistleblower, it's important to uh, immediately take it seriously and uh, and run with it. Right. So let's uh, that, that that's great, Scott. I appreciate it. Uh, well, let's talk about your two novels. Um, <clears throat> why don't you describe the novels and and tell us how we can get them? The first one sure. is fraudulent intention. That was what a couple of years ago now. Yeah, fraudulent intentions. I think was 2012, and b- both the fraudulent intentions and cloud of lies are uh, are premised around fraud investigations. Because I, as, as I said before, I think there's just fascinating techniques and amazing stories, and they're really modern day day mysteries. And my heroes are fraud investigators and forensic accountants. And that may sound, sound dull, but it's really the, the way people uh, understand you know, how you take in interviews and how you read body language and how you use the whole human psychology in solving a fraud is something I really wanted to get into. And, um, and so Fraudulent Intentions is a, this is based on a, on a true story of fraud investigation around uh, the internet and it involved Russian mafia. Um, and Cloud of Lies is also a fraud investigation, but it's wrapped more around um, uh, issues of national security and privacy. It's an investigation of a cloud computing company uh, and involves um, a, a, an undisclosed government program to, to search through. Uh, it sounds like the Snowden matter, but I, I promise my book was out before, to, uh, to really know why someone might react to try to combat terrorism, but it's wrapped in a fraud investigation. Um, and the, the main character there is a uh, is a lawyer who now is in corporate espionage. So it's a little different from fraud, fraudulent intentions, but but I think both of them really kind of are around uh, the 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 excitement and the thrill of a fraud investigation. 
So you're making you're making uh, uh, fraud investigations sexy. Well, I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> and that that's great. So how do we get how do we get we get these books? Well, I appreciate it. So both of them are on Amazon, um, and I think if if you just search for my, my last name, uh, uh, they will pop up. You could search certainly for the titles, uh, or you can go to my website, which is uh, Scott Hilson dot net. That's S C O T T. H-I-L-S-E-N dot net. And uh, you can read the first chapters of each of those books on my website to hopefully uh, tease you a little bit into buying the books, either electronically or, or by paperback. Terrific. So uh, what's next uh, for Scott Hilson? What's the next book? Well, hopefully, hopefully it's a break a little bit to spend time with my family. But, but the next book, I think, is going to be around uh, cybercrime. Uh, that, that, that's all, that's all I'll, I'll say, but uh, cybercrime and cybercriminals is really a, a hot topic, um, really interesting, um, so I'm going to have to do some studying. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, I'm sure it's also crept in into, your, into real life uh, cases that, uh, that you've seen. Yep, a- a- absolutely. Um, you just read the headlines and you see what, what's happening in, in the cybersecurity and cybercrime world. Well, we're going to wrap it up here. Uh, we've been talking with Scott Hilson, uh, who is a uh, white-collar fraud expert uh, and uh, is down in the Atlanta office of uh, KPMG with their forensic uh, group. And uh, uh, it's been a pleasure, Scott. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Chris. It's been my, yep. it's been my pleasure. We- Please join us next week. We have another guest, uh, Ernie Broad, who I've known for 30-odd uh, years or so. He is a managing director of Alvarez and Marcel's Global Forensic and Dispute Services Group. And we'll look forward to everybody uh, joining us again next week. Thank you all, and thank you, Scott, for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Fraud Talk this week. Please join Chris Marquet again next Monday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Don't become a victim of fraud. Tune in for another show soon. 